Will you turn in your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 5? It's interesting that Matthew chapter 5, known as the Sermon on the Mount, has been one of the texts that people, saint and sinners alike, have said, if only we could live out the Sermon on the Mount, life would be so different. Ladies and gentlemen, I have something to say to you, you can't. The Sermon on the Mount is not about social values. It's about spiritual maturity and likeness to the life that God has called His people to live. In a worship service, we are content with having the right songs, the right instrument, the right environment. But for far too many... The concern of God when he, when he brings us together is our hearts. You will see in a moment that Jesus creates a situation where someone is about to present his or her uh, gifts. And if you read this text, it will look almost as though it, is con uh, it doesn't connect we're talking about murder and calling people a fool. And, 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 and all of a sudden, if you're presenting your offering, it just seems to be no connection there. Well, there is a lot. Because what runs through this whole section is God telling us something about human relationships and how that relationship is held together, not so much by political view, but by humbleness of heart. We shall see it. Consider with me what Jesus is saying is the priority in a worship service or in a worshiper. What is the motive? What is the most important thing about me standing here or you sitting? Jesus tells us about someone who was used to praying. John read from... Uh, Exodus 3, one of the things I love about that Exodus passage, for 40 years, Moses was walking back and forth, old bush, I've seen that bush before, I've been by it, and all of a sudden, in the timing of God, God speaks out of the ordinary in an extraordinary way. And, and, and sometimes we, we get that way. We come to a service. Uh, you will notice that we had some interaction with the service this morning so that you don't get used to same old thing. We've done this. Okay, it's time to receive the offering. It's time to get up. It's time to sit down. We need to be engaged and, and this person to whom Jesus is referring here is someone who was engaged. This person was used to going to the temple on the Sabbath day. Therefore, he says in verse 23, he is referring to something that had taken place and something connecting to what he's about to say. You are presenting someone going to a temple to offer a gift. Whatever that gift might be. And that person is used to doing this. 
it is something that he or she had been doing for a while. Here in this case, it is a he because Jesus said, your brother. And, 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 and it's, as you're going through this, something happens. You have done this before. You, you have given, you have given, you prayed, you have sung the, the, the hymns. And all of a sudden, there is an awakening. This has never happened before. You come in, you go out. The outward requires, the requirements are there. I'm going to take my offering. I'm, I'm going to give. Do you remember what Jesus said at one point? These people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are not there. See, what he's, he's doing, he's saying, don't come in and sit down with no sense of expectation. Don't come in and do what you've always done and simply leave untouched by divine truth. And, and so this, this, this person, this worshiper, was, was doing something that was just what he had always done. Look, if you please, in verse 23 of our text. Jesus knows... By the way, I heard something this past week of a new religion called the Red Letter Edition. So that all they do is listen, because the red letters are supposed to be the words of Jesus. Nothing else is. And uh, I didn't get to hear where they come from because I wasn't interested. Um, the whole book is God's book, not, not one part of it. And so in verse 23, therefore, if you are presenting, look at the person in the process of doing what they have always done. And as you're going through that, Jesus makes a statement of importance in saying, as you are presenting there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Here's the awakening. I've, I've never had this, this awareness this person that is presenting his gift was engaged in a confrontation with someone else in verses 21 to 22. And so now Jesus is, is saying, while you were there, you, you looked at the person and you said, you fool, and you went on your own business. Or you look at the person and say, by the way, by the way you know, look, look, at, look at what he said in verse 21. I, I, I find this very, very, not amusing, but interesting. You, you say to, to, your, to your brother, um, raka, which, which that word is a hard word to translate, but, but it, it, it literally means <laughs> you knucklehead. That's the idea of the word. You don't have anything between your ears. 
Listen, friends, you know what that means? That you are the one person that God didn't make in his image. You're saying to that person, you do not have any value as far as I am concerned. And in the process of the confrontation, the person was deeply hurt. And God is saying to you as you are presenting your gifts, someone has you in prison. You may not remember from the time it happened to the time of coming to the temple, you may not have remembered what happened, but I am reminding you now. You remember, you recall, the Holy Spirit makes, makes you aware that in the confrontation, that's what the word remember means, to bring back to memory. You know, you look at this text, you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, um, if I've done anything to hurt you, please forgive me. No. He says, some, the Spirit is saying, someone has something against you. Now, please let me take a minute to, to explain that, because anybody can be offended by anything anybody says. So this is not talking about a frivolous kind of, uh, you know, I can't, Lois and I were watching a part of the, uh, we, we had, for those of you who are interested, we had our fence fixed. And it was so expensive, we were crying together. Uh, <laughs> so we decided to watch a golf match yesterday. <laughs> so so we, were, <laughs> we, were, we were watching this golf match, and... Um, Gal by the name of Michelle Wee came up, and I said to Lois, I cannot stand that girl. Now, she doesn't know me from a hole in the ground. But all of a sudden, I found myself saying, I, and then I tried to explain. I, I felt kind of badly when I said that. Now I'm trying to explain to my wife why I said it. And you know, when you try to explain those things, what happens? You dig the hole deeper. You know, you just keep going down, so you, you just... Uh... But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about something that was frivolously said. We're not talking about people who were, who were, who were just passing remarks. These are people who, who got into it. Some of the things that are going on even now, my friends, since the last election, we can't talk to one another anymore. We, we confront one another. And when we, can, when we confront, we're not looking for a conversation, we're looking for a confrontation, and we're looking for conquest. But here, the onus is not upon the other person. The onus is upon me. And Jesus is saying, if you want your worship to truly be effective, Make sure that that person releases you from their prison. This is this is a this is a personal thing. This is this you know this is. <laughs> believe me, you will hear pastors say this, but it's true. This is like what happens on our way to church Sunday morning. 
when the kids are acting up and you say to them, if your kids don't shut up at the back there, don't let me reach there. Or sometimes when you're, when you're going to church with your wife, this has never happened to me, I'm talking about you, <laughs> where there's silence, silence, nothing is being said. And it feels good. And then there are other times when there's silence. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> and then you come to church and someone says, how are you? Say, fine. <laughs> and then you come and you sit down. And, and guess what heals that breach? Time. But it's not, it's not healed, friends. It's not healed. Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to truly do business with me, I want you to do business with your brother. I want you to do business with your sister. You, you can in no way believe that you can hurt personally to another person in the body of Christ, that you can hurt them deeply and go on worshiping God. Now, this is not my word. This is, this is, this is not in, 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 the, in the, um, the annals of the evangelical church. This is in the scriptures. And, and here we are then, this awakening. And what a privilege. I had someone who come to me, come to me some time ago and said what they were beginning to experience in their lives. And I said, you ought to be thankful. Because the only way you can deal with something like that is if the Holy Spirit is making you aware of it. Ordinarily, my friends, you and I will not do that. And so here then we have what Jesus is saying. When you had that conversation, you call that person a knucklehead. You deny the image of God in that person. Wrong as they may have been. Remember what the scripture said, says to us from Ephesians 4? Be angry, but don't sin in your response to anger. So it's possible for us to be wrong and for us to be guilty. Uh, innocent, I should say, and us, us to be guilty. Because we take what has happened and we become sinful in our response to it. The awakening at worship. This is a frightening thing, is it not? Because I'm almost sure that I'm, as I'm speaking, some of you are thinking in your minds now, oh, let's see, who did I confront this past week? No, friends, it's not that way. It's not that way. It's not talking about trivial things. It's talking about known confrontation leading to conflict whereby I said things. Whereby I expressed to you something that went like poison into your system and paralyzed you because I said it the way I did. I was watching a an episode, don't judge me by this, this was years ago, watching an episode of Archie Bunker, All in the Family. And Mike and Joyce, well, Mike and Joyce, Mike and Gloria were having a real humdinger. I mean, they were screaming at each other, and Edith came in and said, stop it, stop it, stop it. I want to tell you a story. And whenever Edith wants to tell you a story, 
Sometimes it's more painful than what you're going through on the other side. But she said, I want to tell you something about my uncle. And Gloria said, Ma, and she said, shut up, I'm not finished. One of the rare times she used, she said, my aunt and uncle were having pancake for breakfast, and there was no syrup. And it became an argument. And they were screaming at each other. And my uncle said something to my aunt, and she broke down. And he said, I am sorry for that. Listen to what Eva said. Even though he asked, expressed that he was sorry, their relationship was never the same. Their relationship was never the same. You see, my friends, that was a confrontation where someone was trying to win, where someone was trying to conquer. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He is saying, if, you, if I make you aware that your brother or your sister has been offended by the way you responded to them, he's not dealing with how they, what caused it, he's dealing with your response. He said, it's best for you not to offer, because I'm making it known to you now, not to offer your offering, your gift, whatever the gift might be. So look at the approach. Look at the approach. There's the awakening to a fractured relationship. Look at the approach. What did Jesus say, verse 24? And he gives us these steps to take with it. Number one, accept the charge of the Spirit. He makes known to you and he says, because this is so important, you will be freer, you will enjoy worship a lot more if you are forgiven. If therefore you are reminded, the issue is no longer between you and the brother or sister, it is between you and God. It is between me and God. Am I willing to take the steps to repair a broken relationship? Romans 12, 19. Listen to Romans 12, 19. I love this. This is how practical the Bible is. If possible, as much as depends upon you, live at peace with all men. If possible, as much as depends upon you. The Spirit knows that not everyone will respond to an approach like this. People will want to say, it's all right. No. I am coming because the Spirit of God is directing me to take care of matters. So if possible, do what is necessary to be at peace. You won't be able to do it with everybody, but as much as it lies upon you, you do it. So contact the person and ask for their forgiveness. And, and, and by the way, we can do that by technological means. I, I tend to think that if, if you can do the face-to-face, -face, it's a whole lot better. Jesus said, go to your brother 
I know they didn't have cell phones in those days, so he couldn't say call. If the person is no longer alive, here is, I sat at my desk. How, how do you do this if the person is no longer alive? I say, write a letter to God. Talk about the matter to God. And leave it with God. Burn the letter, turn, turn the letter, put it, put it away. You're no longer dealing with it, but you're dealing with having a conscience that is void of offense both toward God and men. And, and I, I have a note here to remind me, this is not talking about not taking communion. See, because it is possible for us to take communion with other things. This is talking about a relationship between you, a horizontal relationship. Make this a priority since we are told. Listen to what it says. First, do this. First, do this. And by the way, I want to suggest to you that, that we would do a lot better in this kind of a relationship if we would prepare for the Lord's Day on Saturday. I don't mean you don't do, I don't mean you don't, you don't watch the golf game. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying, my friends, that at a certain point, say, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. And here's how I'm going to prepare for it. I just, I, just, I just don't come and expect God to do what he wants to do without any preparations from me. That's both Old and New Testaments. And um, I, I, I just want you to know that, I, again, you know, I confessed I didn't only watch golf. I watched basketball last night. Um, not a whole game, but I did watch it. So preparation, preparations. You know, the first school I went to, we used to have sandwiches on Saturday for Sunday <laughs> so that we could give ourselves fully on Sunday to the Lord's Day. I'm not saying we have to do that. I'm saying that we have become just the opposite. We don't make any preparations at all. We just come and we're hustling and bustling and by the time we come, we need something to calm us down when we come into the house of the Lord. Well, that is the priority. Let's look at the prerogatives. The prerogatives of forgiveness to worship. How does it relate? Let me suggest to you, first of all, that forgiveness restores affinity. And I use the word affinity because relationship can be distance, but affinity speaks of closeness. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. You have to do it. I have to do it. My friends, we struggle with this. And I'm saying, I'm saying, I struggle with this. I remember something that happened to me some years ago. And I thought I had a right to be angry at these people. But the right I thought I had was becoming anger in me. And I, without question, knew that the Lord wanted me to be released from these people. And I wrote a letter. And I, and I asked them to forgive me. I said, you may not know what I was holding in my heart, but I want to be right with God. I want, I want God to so, to so control my life 
that I do not have anything that is preventing me from presenting myself to him. And I, I wrote the letter, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is, I don't know how many years, and I've never heard back from them. Never heard back. And I struggled with that now, because I wrote to you, you should be writing back to me. No, friends, I was doing what God wanted me to do, not what they wanted me to do. See, the first thing, the first thing, be reconciled. Because broken relationship in a church affects true worship. I, I, can't, I can't be sitting thinking that I can't stand that person. <laughs> and so, listen, listen to John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one ever has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him because he has given us his spirit. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Wow. See, being a Christian, my friends, is, is, is no cakewalk. Being a Christian calls us to live denying ourselves the rights we think we have in relationships. When the Spirit of God reminds us that, that in, in, in the, the last stop we make before we come to worship is to make sure that God is not saying to us, take care of this before you do it. So much can be said about this. The word to be reconciled has more than one meaning, but the two meanings in this text is this, to renew, to renew a relationship that was broken, and not only to renew, it means to welcome, welcome back. See, reconcile, it means to bring back that which was, was broken. And God puts such a high premium, such a high premium on forgiveness. <laughs> and I thought of this when I was writing this, that he said this, that if you're not careful, forgiveness can trump worship. Put your gift, leave it there. Go and be reconciled. And so, so forgiveness restores. This, this, is, this is part of the Lord's prayer we're seeing here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. From God to the other person to me, from God to me to the other person, because what I really want to do more than anything else is to make sure that when I bow my head in a service, when I present my gifts to the Lord, God 
will not turn his face away from it. He will be pleased with it because our whole passion was to please him in coming to worship and whatever he wanted us to remove from our lives so that worship is not affected by it, we will do. I was singing this past week a song by the writer Robinson, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Friends, let me suggest to you something, that in the prerogative of forgiveness to worship, if this happened in a church, the world will know about it, not by me writing a book about it, but by the Spirit making them aware of it. We make people know things by books we write. God makes people aware of things by how he changed the lives of people. Lastly, forgiveness assures spiritual acceptance. The little word then. Then go. I have done what the Spirit directed me to do. Then go. And offer your sacrifice of thanksgiving, your sacrifice of gratitude. Then offer. We are studying the tabernacle in our Wednesday night meeting. And one of the things the priest had to do, the priest had to not only represent the people's sin, but he had to represent his own sin when he goes, goes into the Holy of Holies. And he offers for them, and we do the same thing. As we offer the sacrifice to God, whatever the gift is, then we are free. We are released, not only from the imprisonment of someone else, but from my own imprisonment, knowing that the relationship was affected. Now, when you look at verses 25 and 26, here's something very important with this text. When you look at verses 25 and 26, which again seems somewhat uh, disconnect. Jesus is saying now to the one to whom forgiveness was requested. If I go to confess to someone because I know that we had a, 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 a breakdown of relationship and that person does not want to accept my forgiveness or ask to, to give forgiveness, then that person becomes accountable to God. The one who has gone to ask is released. And in that light, I end with this story. Robert Louis Stevens, Stevenson, in his, in his book called Edinburgh Picturesque, tells the story of two sisters who lived in a downtown apartment in Glasgow, in, uh, Scotland. And we can picture that. Lois and I have been downtown Glasgow. And the two sisters, one day, were discussing a theological situation. And the one sister disagreed with the other sister. It became so heated. that those two sisters never talked to each other again, although they lived in the same room. 
in order that they might in order that they might not speak to each other they drew a line down the middle of the room that's your space that's my space and by the way they went to church every sunday they were called sisters of the church when people would go to visit them they would sense because the one would not cross the line made by the other In, I want to make sure I have this right. What I've said is, is right. Belonging to the church, they continue to live in the same apartment. And if you see some of these little rooms in Scotland, they ain't big. <laughs> they are little. And as... They went to church. Here's my question as I read the story or heard it. What, in those days, they used to repeat the Lord's Prayer all the time in these churches. And I asked myself, I wonder what they did when they got to and forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive others. Do you see, my friends, how it is possible to go through the rituals let, let me suggest to you, not by my authority, but they never worshipped God. God never accepted their worship because they refused to relate to those who were supposed, you know, I, I think, you know, every time I read this, that we shall all be changed within the twinkling of an eye, I think, boy, God will have to do that for us because yeah. some of us can't live together on earth. But what, what, what a beautiful thing it is when our relationship, as much as we are able to unearth, is a picture of the perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Community, communication, conversation. On earth as it is in heaven. When our community sees this, friends, they will want what we have. They will ask for what we have. And then we'll be able to get the little white book <laughs> and give it to them to show them that this is not something of a philosophical conquest. God has conquered me so that I can serve you, so that you can serve me, and that together we serve God. For his glory. My friends, worship is dependent upon forgiveness. Now, you know me. This message does not come from anything that I know is going on in this church. But I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes so that it will be prevented in the event. There are any times when we have confrontations of any kind, and we have not. I've told you of places in Toronto where I was, where they had conflict between the church on a Sunday morning and a business meeting, they had to call the police. I would trust that that will never, never happen here because we're taking God seriously. When God speaks, we want to obey, and when we obey, God will bless. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And, and I pray, Father, if anything has been said
that should not have been said, that it will quickly fade from our minds, and that we will retain only that which the Holy Spirit has spoken, so that what is needed to be done, God will do, because God always makes sure that whatever He sends His Word to accomplish, that it does accomplish just that. And so I pray that as we take these few moments to reflect and to respond, that the Holy Spirit will lead us, Father, to seek forgiveness where we need to have it done, but as much as it depends upon us that we will live peaceable with all men. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for speaking to us. Enable us to obey you in Jesus' name. Amen.